0: Today's scripture reading is taken from Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You all, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness,
1: So good to be with you. I am slowly trying to stay awake here because I had scratch biscuits and gravy for breakfast made by my kids this morning, which is wonderful, and amazing. Thank you guys. But I do kind of want to be taking a nap right now. (laughs) So not great when I'm trying to start a new series with energy. Um, Philippians, the book of Philippians, that's what we're starting out today. We've been in the Psalms, but now we're turning into the New Testament to this wonderful book written by the Apostle Paul. If you have any familiarity with the book of Philippians, uh, or with the Bible at all, you probably know some verses from Philippians that may not be everybody, you may not grew up, have grown up in the church, but if you have some familiarity with the Bible, you've probably heard, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say, rejoice. Maybe you've heard, to live is Christ, and to die is what? gain. And of course, we have to include, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Prayed before every sporting event in America ever participated in. Somehow though, with both teams praying the prayer, still one of them wins. So um, maybe that's not about football. I don't know. We'll get there. We'll talk about it. But it's a very familiar book. It's my point. It's, it's a common uh, book, and yet it is so beautiful. This uh, Philippi was a this place in Macedonia that was a Roman colony, and Paul and Silas were there. Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, traveled through Philippi. You can read the whole story in Acts chapter 16. Some amazing things happened uh, to Paul and Silas at Philippi. They uh, met Lydia, who was this amazing lady who sold purple dye, and she became a Christian. And, and they did other things, like they, they cast out a demon out of a girl who was, who was um, this kind of prophet machine for these horrible men, and they got thrown in jail. And it seemed like a, a really, a, a, you know, a dark moment in their story, but God actually used that for them to meet the Philippian jailer who was converted that night. He almost killed himself, but he gave his life to Christ and he and his family were baptized. The whole story in Acts 16 tells us that this Paul and Silas had a great impact in this area. They were there for, we're told, some days, some days. That, that, we don't know how long Paul was in Philippi, but he was there long enough to develop just this sweet affection for the people of God in Philippi, which is why... The book of Philippians, it, it hits different, right? It's, it is a different kind of book than, say, Galatians or Corinthians, where Paul takes sometimes a harsh tone and sometimes he's a little critical. Uh, Philippians is gentle. It is called sometimes a letter of friendship. Paul writes it, ironically, from jail himself, probably in Rome, and he's remembering this great affection that he has for these Philippians. I hold you in my heart, he says. I have all the affection of Christ for you. Well, what is the book of Philippians about? One of the things I like to do is just to look at the words that Paul uses throughout his books to see what the themes of the book is. And if you look, there's one word that shows up in this book more often than any of Paul's writings. The greater concentration of this word is in this book than anywhere else. It's the word gospel. Euangelion, where we get our word evangelical. This book is about the gospel. That's the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ in the fullness of time for the salvation of the world it's the gospel. That's what it's about. The most common word in Philippians, the most common word grouping is a different word. It's joy. Joy is the most common word in Philippians. And another very common word that's going to come up at significant moments is the word fellowship, or participation, or partakers. And so, this is the theme of Philippians. It's kind of all contained in verse 4 and 5 of, the, of what we just read. Verse 4 says, Always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's what Philippians is about. It's about growing in joy together over the gospel. It sounds a lot like Uh, The vision for this church, actually, if you go on our website, you'll see the vision uh, that we cast for this church is that we're enjoying life together in the goodness of God. That's what Taco Night's about next week, by the way. It's enjoying good things together in God's good kingdom, in His goodness. And so it's very appropriate that we look at this book that's themed so appropriately for our mission here. It's my hope that we grow in joy Together, over the good news of Jesus. One of the things that we find when you're on this journey of joy together is wanting to know that we are changed people. And that's actually where Paul begins this book. He gives them the confidence that joy can be complete because God is at work in them. And sometimes we don't feel that way. And that's why I want us to, to look at this theme this morning as we open up this book and start looking at it together. This idea of God is at work within me. There is progress. There is uh, movement in, in my Christian journey. It just is. Whether I feel like it or not, it is true that God is at work within me. And I wonder if you've had this feeling. Am I really changing at all? Am I growing? Is, is Christianity working? Is it, is it doing anything? Because when I'm honest, I think about six months ago, I was kind of the same person. And when I'm really honest, I think about six years ago, I was kind of the same person. And I feel like uh, maybe some things have changed. Maybe, you know, maybe life has changed me a little bit. But I just thought that I would be further along than I am right now. It's very hard even if we can sense a little bit of that progress to get the kind of confidence that Paul has in verse 6 where he says this and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am so confident that God is working in you so much so that you're going to be completed. That's how you're you're on this progression. That's a hard feeling for us to capture sometimes, but that is in fact what we are invited to see. You know, I I grew up in Mississippi. I've mentioned that a number of times before. And if you're from the southeast region of this country, then you are very familiar with a very particular plant called kudzu. Uh, I'm getting some head nods from some southeasterners. Does anybody not know what kudzu is? Yeah, lots of people don't know what it is. That's what I thought. Uh, This is Japanese plant, okay, Japanese, and it was introduced in the American South in the late 1800s. Uh, I don't really know why they introduced it, but they brought this plant over, and it doesn't grow everywhere. It needs very specific conditions, but once the conditions are right, it never stops growing. It is one of the fastest growing plants. In fact, it's been called the plant that ate the South. Um, It is everywhere, and people where I grew up are obsessed with kudzu. Um, you know, it's in the store names. There's, there's kudzu brewing companies. There's uh, kudzu. My uncle's in a bluegrass band with a kudzu in, in the name of it. It's like people are obsessed with, with this plant. It has this remarkable ability to grow over time. It grows about a foot per day. And, um, you know, it started in the late 1800s. And now about seven, I looked it up this week, there's about 7.5 million acres are covered with this plant. So when you're driving on the highway in Mississippi, it's not uncommon to see a field right next to you that is just overtaken with this vining plant. And I'm not just talking about the ground. It grows up over trees and it grows over telephone poles. Uh, And so it looks like there's these vine monsters like sitting out in a field next to you as you drive. It's the weirdest thing. But the point is this. The slow growth over time becomes powerful. Nobody had any idea in the 1800s that this plant would take over and dominate the South, and now it does. just a foot a day, and then planted here and planted there. And suddenly, over time, this progression happens in domination. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, it's like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds, but then it grows into the largest plant. He says the kingdom of God, it's like, a, it's like leaven. You know, that material that's in makes the dough rise and it works when you knead the dough. The, the leaven gets worked into the whole lump. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Slowly, but surely, the kingdom of God grows. And that is how God works, not just in the world, He works in us. There's this slow, sometimes seemingly imperceptible growth that God is doing in us. He's completing us. His Word begins to dominate, but it's hard to see. It takes time. That's how he completes his work in us. Here's what I want us to see from these verses this morning. We grow over time by paying attention to God's good work in us. We grow over time by paying attention to God's good work in us. That's, in fact, exactly what Paul is doing in these first 11 verses. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. He's remembering them and he's thanking God for the specific things. He's going to give us three of these things that he's so thankful for because he's watching the Philippians and he's noticing how God is working in them and he's given them a great gift. That's the gift that we give to one another to notice the good work that God does in each of us over time what is Paul noticing? What is he remembering? What is he thanking God for? Well, there's three things that he's paying attention to. Three things. First one that he's paying attention to is this, the fellowship of grace. The fellowship of grace. What he is seeing, what he's really emphasizing is that they, the Philippians, are on the same gospel team as himself. In verse 1, he identifies himself, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now that's an interesting introduction because normally what Paul would do in a letter is it would say an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by God to be an apostle. That's how most of his letters begin. But here he says servants, or the word is slaves, slaves of Jesus Christ. So from the very beginning, Paul's not emphasizing his authority over them. He's saying, look, we're on the same team. And he continues that throughout. Look at verse 4, where he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership or fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now. Look at verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers or fellowshippers, again, with me of grace. Partakers, partnership, it's all the same root word. It's the word that we talked about a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 133, the fellowship of believers. The fellowship, your partnership you're a partaker of grace, you're a fellowshipper with me of grace. What is this partnership? Well, some have said that Paul is actually thanking them for giving him money, which they certainly did. The Philippian church gave generously to Paul's missionary efforts. But it means so much more than this. As we see throughout the book of Philippians, the idea of The fellowship is this deep connection. It's this deep friendship. It's this shared life that the whole church partakes in. And he says a couple of different things that have particularly encouraged him. He says, you are partakers with me both in my imprisonment and in the confirmation of the gospel. You're sharing, he says my passion for the gospel, and you're also concerned about me as a person as I am here in prison. That's what the fellowship does. It's, it's very intimate. It knows things about each other, and yet it's also a partnership around a specific mission, which is the gospel. And that's what the church is. It's very important that we, that we see this. What Paul is ultimately, he's just thankful for at the very start, I'm remembering that we have this shared life together. And God is using that shared life to complete His work in you. He uses this fellowship of grace for His purposes. This is so important. Being a Christian is not just an idea. It's not just an intellectual experience. It's not just a mental ascent. It's not what philosophers would call just a, a metaphysic, a, just a, a, a thing that you actually believe in. It is more than that. It always has been. It is a robust community. It is a fellowship. It is a participation. And God uses this fellowship to complete his work in us. That's why Paul is so confident. Because of their partnership in the gospel. Because he knows that God is bringing them together as a community. Now the second thing that he notices is closely related to that. Not just the fellowship of grace, but the increase of love. I love that Philippians opens up with something that in our day is extremely countercultural. Paul expresses pleasure in the church. He loves the church, he loves the people. I've already mentioned his affection. He says, I hold you in my heart. I have I yearn for you, verse 8, with all the affection of Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that Paul isn't also able to criticize the church. He does it frequently. He challenges it. He gets frustrated with it. But he also loves it. He has an affection for them. He holds them in his heart. And his prayer then, what he wants to see more and more for them in verse 9, is for that love to increase amongst themselves look at verse 9 and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment paul says the love that i have for you i want you to increase for one another abound more and more in scripture Love is always a barometer of growth. Love is always how we measure growth. It's easy to make this case from Scripture. First Corinthians 13, the love chapter tells us, you can have all kinds of godliness. You can have skills. You can serve others. You can move mountains. You can have great faith. If you don't have love, you have nothing All it is is a noise, a clanging gong, a clashing cymbal, a noise that's heard and then it's gone. Your gifts, your skills, your insights, your impact over time, it's just a noise and then it's over. But love endures. It remains. Jesus in John 13 says, they will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. First John tells us you cannot love God and hate your brother. See, love is always this barometer of growth. You want to know how God is working in you, how He's completing you in the day of Jesus Christ. What you need to look at is your ability to love others, the Scriptures say. And Paul adds some conditions of love, some ways that we can grow in love. He says, with knowledge and insight, or with knowledge and discernment, I think the ESV says. That tells us how... We grow in love with all knowledge. When you love someone, you, you increase your knowledge of them with your spouse. You grow in your understanding of them. You see what motivates them. You see where their gifts are. You see where their weaknesses are. And you are it makes you tender, hopefully towards them and their weaknesses, and it makes you love them for their strengths. And uh, there's this knowledge in love. Paul says, I want to see that abound more and more, all this knowledge, but also with discernment or with insight. And that word just means a moral improvement, like a, the love does things. It cares for things. It does the right thing these improvements to character that you would continue to serve and do the right thing, in other words, for those who are around you. Basically, Paul's prayer is that they would have greater care and understanding of one another. And this is not a straight line. This is something he says, I want, to, I want it to abound more and more. This is something that you'll notice over time. It doesn't happen right away. Becca and I um, are, are not shy about saying that we had a really rough engagement and first year of marriage. We just celebrated 15 years of marriage. But our, our engagement and our first year were uh, tumultuous for us. We had so much growing up to do. And, and both of us, it takes two, right? But a lot of it was me. And I remember when we went through it, and slowly things began to change. Um, sometime in the second year of our marriage, Becca said, You're different. And I remember my response was like, I don't see it. <laughs> you know, I don't think that I'm that different. She said, No, you're kinder, you're you know, you're more patient. And I don't and I didn't know how it happened, right? It was this thing, this over time but she saw it. And that's the point that Paul is saying, you have this fellowship of grace and then in that you need the increase of love and they work together. That's what, not just our marriages, you don't have to be married to benefit from this. This is the entire church. Others help us see the fellowship of grace and the increase of love go together. And we are called to love and care for and serve and know and understand the body. You know, even, even something as simple as meeting someone at church, I mean, not at this church, right, but some church out there uh, that you don't necessarily like. I know that hasn't happened here, but just hypothetically, that's a, someone who rubs you the wrong way. That is a perfect opportunity, isn't it? For growth in the body. The Bible wouldn't remind us How much we need to bear with one another, Colossians says. Bear with one another. You know, continue to love one another. May your love abound more and more. Paul wouldn't say that if that was like an easy reality to accomplish. Why do we need to bear with one another? Because it's hard to bear with one another. To push through that to to the other side and to see, you know what? I hold you in my heart. I have all the affection of Christ for you. That is possible, by the way. It is possible to be with others who rub you the wrong way and then to to find the the fellowship of grace and the increase of love to take root in your life and for you to look at someone who you used to consider an enemy or just someone who is outside of of your circle and to see them with love. It takes time. It's like that slow-growing plant. It takes root the more that we are together and the more that we ask for an increase of love. So we're paying attention to how much we engage with the fellowship of grace. We're paying attention to the increase of love in our own hearts. The third thing is the cultivation of righteousness. Paul's prayer at the end here is two things. He says, so that and so that. So that, um, he prays that you would increase in love But he also prays in verse 10 that, here's the second thing, you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to be able to approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless, and then you get the fruit of righteousness. And that's what we all are longing for when we say, is God doing anything in me? Say, where's the fruit? Where's Where's the righteousness? I know I'm supposed to be holy. I know I'm supposed to be set apart. How do we get that fruit? Well, Paul says here, it's in two ways. It's through examination and it's through imputation. Let me explain. It's through examination. The first two words that he uses here are really about examination. He says, I want you to be pure. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The word pure, it's a compound word. It's two words, so that's just two words stuck together. It says, sun judgment. That's that's where the two roots of the words come from. Like the sun in the sky and judgment. How is that purity? Well, the idea is you're holding something up to the light. You're judging it, right? You're, you're discerning something and you're looking at it in the sun, in the light of the day. In other words, you're examining it. Same idea in the word blameless. To be blameless recalls back the idea of the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb that was to be without spot or blemish. It was the blameless lamb. And so it had to be inspected. Is this the right offering that we would give to God? Paul's prayer is that we would live an examined life. That we would hold up to the light our deeds and our thoughts and our actions like we've done in the service already. That we would examine ourselves to see if we are pure, and blameless. What if you examine your life and you don't like what you find? You hold up yourself to the light, and it's impure. It's not spotless. In fact, you find more than one spot. What if we don't hold up to this scrutiny? That's Paul's prayer. I want you to have this, and then, but what if we don't? Well, that's why I think he adds this last sentence here, which tells us that Our righteousness doesn't just come from examination of ourselves. It comes from imputation. That is, we get the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The righteousness that we have comes from Christ. That's the word imputation. He imputes His righteousness to us. Christ gives us righteousness. There is an exchange. He receives our sin. We get His righteousness. And we bear fruit because of the righteousness of Christ. Not because we have been so pure and blameless in His sight. Although it's important for us to examine our lives and to so see if we are righteous. Ultimately, our righteousness comes from Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches, you're attached to me. That's where your life comes from. And that is the good news. Let me go back to the main verse that we've been looking at. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He will complete it. That's what it says. It doesn't say, he who began a good work in you gave you a good start. So that you can now go and learn how to be righteous. He says, he who began a good work will finish it. Jesus, the author of Hebrews tells us, is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the perfecter. And so, we're watching what God is doing in us. That's, That's how we grow. We don't grow by outgrowing Him. We grow by growing into Him. It's God who works in us. It's Him who completes us. The promise is He who does this will complete it. So we're trusting in Jesus. We're trusting that God will complete us. That we won't complete ourselves. But you may just say, but I want to see it. And I want I want the confidence that Paul seems to have here. I mean, look at the way he says this. I am sure of this. God will complete the work. I'm sure. makes me think about Romans 8, where Paul also says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor heaven or hell, things present, things to come, life, death, nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I am sure, I am sure, Paul says. And we may want to see this. We may believe that God is the one who completes the work in us, but we still want to see it happening, to have that kind of confidence. I think this passage helps us with that. It was a delight to kind of think about this this week. As you notice, you begin to notice as you read this passage over and over again The entire time Paul is praying. Actually, the three points that I made this morning are all prayers. He says, In every prayer, I'm thanking God for your fellowship of grace. And then he says, I am praying that you would abound in love more and more. And then he says, Secondly, that you would also be filled with this fruit of righteousness. You would have a pure and blameless life. It's all a prayer. And I think that helps. His confidence came from being with God in prayer. It's in prayer that you notice your growth. It's in prayer where you see God at work within you. That's where Paul got his confidence. It's in prayer where you say things like, God, that person is really irritating me and I don't know why I'm so... Put off by them. Can you help me show them love? It's in prayer that you say things like, last year at this time, what that person said to me, I would have been anxious. I would have been put off by that. I would have um, gone into a spiral. But for some reason, I'm not. And and I see that. I would have last year, but I'm not now. That's growth. That's where you notice things like that. You see the places where God's been growing you. Uh, You see your heart of love for others as you pray for those, even pray for your enemies, right? That's that something happens there. It's actually in prayer that we notice what God is doing in our lives, and I think that's where Paul got his confidence. So how do we do that? Well, I can't teach all of what prayer is this morning as we close, but I will say that the most important kind of prayer for my life in this regard has been the prayer of examination, a prayer of examination. This is where, in prayer, there's lots of different ways you can do this, but you share your life with God. You review the day, the end of the day or the beginning of the day for the previous day. It doesn't matter. You say, this is what happened. This is how I felt. This is what irritated me. This is what I need to repent of. This is what I rejoiced in. This is what made my heart glad. And you start to notice those things in prayer. Over time, it's even better if you write it down. We're talking about a sentence, maybe a paragraph. And you you review, this is what happened. And then you can go look back on those prayers and you say, man, I'm a different person than I was a year ago. And I was a year ago, I was praying for this, and now that's not even a thing anymore. You notice what God is doing because you have a life with him. You have a fellowship with him, just like you have a fellowship with the church. And so it's in examination that we begin to see all of what God is doing. That's what Paul's doing. I thank God in all my remembrance of you. I'm going back to when I was hanging out with you, and I was seeing things in you. And now to hear about you, what's going on in your life, I see God's work in you. And I am sure that he who began a good work will complete it. It's in remembrance that we see that God is at work and we begin to trust that he will complete that work. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your promise that you are completing the work. Just the relief of that, Father, this morning. I pray that we would feel the burden slip from our shoulders. It's not that you expect a certain timetable or certain actions in a certain sequence. It's a mess from our perspective, Lord, but you are at work and you will complete it the day of Christ. So our confidence is not in ourselves, it's in you. As we come to the table this morning, I pray that we would eat, drink, remember, and believe that it's you who are our righteousness. And yet we want what Paul had, confidence that we are changing. So I pray, Father, that this week you would give us the ability to share our life with you, to to see glimpses of what you are doing in and through us, to give us the ability to notice, to care, so that we can be encouraged by what you are already doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.